have our official outline distributor, Zach, who is uh, kind of like pre-season warm-up for the seminar. So uh, he's uh, stretching out his arm and his legs to, to get this going. Hey, what are you doing? Allie's usually the one that does that. We have to be official around here. Ah. We've been talking quite a bit over the past number of months about factors that influence the human spirit, which we all have. And I, I started thinking that I would try to write something about that, and it was kind of like, it's, it's such an ongoing flow of revelation from the Word. There's so much that God speaks about regarding the human spirit that it just keeps coming. So it's kind of like trying to start to write a, uh, a book when the, the information that would be in that book just keeps coming. So you just can't, you can't, how do you, how do you bake a, how do you bake a cake when you don't have all the ingredients? More ingredients just keep coming. But we've been on this pathway together, and I, I pray that as God has been feeding us from his hand, that you've all been receiving and being strengthened and changed and challenged. Um, I, I told you earlier that the impetus for what we're sharing today came as a part of God asking me about the heart. And um, that wasn't the onus of all that we're studying today, but I do believe that what our assignment is this week involves this study from the Word. We come before communion, and as Monica referenced earlier, we were specifically commanded that when we come before this place, we come before this table, we examine ourselves. And um, we heard several references today already from Psalm 51 about the, the need for God to uh, search us. And um, there was a reference today about a sermon that I spoke not long ago about take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Uh, it goes on then to speak about um, uphold me, King James says, with thy free spirit. But in the original, it just says uphold basically according to free spirit. Thy is not in there or even implied. It's about the exchange of our spirit before God. And free there means to be willing. Free spirit means that we would be, um, no matter what comes, submissive in spirit to what God's wanting to do. And that will be our security. To be upheld is... Um, is what you rely upon for your base, for your stance. So on the one hand, it's, it's kind of a play on words together. Um, you want stability, but the way you are stable in the Lord is through being willing to flow in spirit with him. And in fact, that word free speaks uh, in the Old Testament about people of nobility. You know, there's two main words we've written on one of them in the book, The Razor's Edge, which is also a, a, uh, <laughs> a rock album title. But um, Nathan's the only one that knows which one. But um, we talked about how Sar is a word that is usually for translated as princes, but there in the Old Testament, there's a clear line of... of, of uh, derivation between that and this other word that also describes nobility and princes, 
And it, it, so you put the two together. The SAR is you're willing to be on the razor's edge of what's coming. You, you, wanna, you don't want to miss. You don't want to be dull. You, you want to become a fine point before God. But then nobility is that you are willing to be free before the Lord, to follow him. One of the wonderful passages is when they needed water and there was a directive and the princes took their staves and made, um, began to dig for water. And then it says in that same verse that the nobles also took their staves and began to dig. And if Israel had continued that way, they wouldn't have, they probably would not have been devoured in the wilderness. But um, for us, as people who are called to be um, mighty men and women in God in this season, we have to continually be before the Lord, examining ourselves in the chief ways. To me, the chief way that we should examine ourselves is what am I doing in regard to my identity in God that was established from the foundation of the world where he sent when I was born a dimension of his spirit into us, and every one of us has it, that his son gave his life that that might be born again, and that when we're finished on this earth, uh, in this particular dimension of life, we give that spirit back to God. What am I doing with that? Am Am I allowing it to be free? Am I building that up? And God has been taking great effort to show us in the Word the various places where he speaks to that. Now, we as classic Pentecostal just kind of lumped all of the things about the Spirit together. That's just true when we were growing up. We just did that. But the Word of God is very specific. And one of the things about being a saint is to know what God's Spirit, who he is, is doing. And and the very clear depiction in the word of what dimension of his spirit is moving. But then we better know how to function on behalf of the spirit within. And so to be upheld with, you know, God, David said two things. Don't stop the training and the instruction that your Holy Spirit has given us, but let my stability in that be that the spirit within me is willing to follow you and to do whatever you want without resisting. And you say, well, how can the spirit resist? How can our spirit resist? Well, first of all, you could just, as Nancy Reagan once said, just say no. Not about the spirit. That was about drugs when she and Ronnie had that, that uh, whatever happened to those kind of politicians? I don't know. But um, that was for the, the drug campaign to keep kids from taking drugs. Just say no. But some people just don't want to acknowledge the fact that they have a spiritual dimension within them, and they just don't pay any attention to it. It's all about the mind. It's all about their declaration. It's all about well, do this list of do's and don'ts. It's all about, well, I've charted my course, and I'm just asking God to bless it. And, and really, that's, that's this pro, pro, pretty much the, the largest percentage of what most churches think they are to be in, in regard to God. But we have a responsibility for the Spirit within us. We do, if we look at the plethora of scriptures that speak about this. So we want to, yes, be led and trained by the Spirit of God. And that's part of search me. I don't, I don't want to come behind in that. I don't want to miss any classes. I want to be those disciples that Les was mentioning earlier. Um, and we are disciples of the Father, really. I mean, he, he's chastening us. He's training us. And, and I want to be secured by the knowledge that I will let my spirit be submissive to whatever God is leading me to do. That's my security. Isn't that strange when a lot of times uh, people say, I've got a check in my spirit, which is not in the scripture, but they say it anyway. And it's usually, usually inclined to say, I don't care what's going on in the church. I just have a check in my spirit about it, which means I don't want to do anything with it. 
Well, they don't have a check in their spirit. Their mind has risen up and said, I'm not doing that. I don't care. It just looks weird to me. I wasn't raised that way. And, but really what they're doing is saying, I have checked my spirit from doing what God's spirit is doing. And that's a dangerous place. And so I feel that over this season where God's been talking about his presence and he's been inviting us into his presence, that a chief component of how we partner with God in his presence is what we do with our spirit. The spirit within that is born again only through Christ Jesus. And um, so uh, we examine ourselves, but we want to take very careful notice today that in the examining, one of the chief ways that we should be examining is, am I willing, am I willing to let God do what he wants? Um, you know, we can talk about the devices of the enemy and the strategies of the enemy, but one of the things that we often don't look at is to take a really clear look in ourselves to see where do, I, where do I make myself vulnerable? What thing do I continually allow to happen that in retrospect I usually look back and say, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have reacted in that way. But yet we do it over and over and over and over. It's a, it's a 70 times 7 times 7. And it, I think God is, he is really emphasizing at this point that we need to take account in our own lives to where there's a part of us perhaps that rises up and says no in whatever way that would be. And... Um, and we need to finally submit that to the Lord because it's probably even co either coming from a point of disobedience or it's coming from a point where our own steering wheel is so locked into autopilot that we just do that. Or there's a problem in our spirit. And that's what we're going to look at today. So we're going to begin by considering this word, Q-A-S-A, kasa. And uh, we're going to talk about the hardened spirit. And we're going to look at this from a number of angles so that hopefully we understand. And not just that we understand, that we, but that we will apply these gems from the Word to our own development in God. So we're going to begin with a rather obscure passage and that is uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 30. And there, as I mentioned just a moment ago, are three areas of challenge with this particular word, our spirit, our heart, and whether we're stiff-necked or not. This word, Q-A-S-A, kasa, it means to encounter a measure of difficulty to to be hard-pressed in regard to something uh, and perhaps to feel crowded upon, uh, to be beset with a certain measure of, um, of I don't want to say burden because that's more of a, of a good thing, but to be set by the, uh, the weightiness of a challenge and how we react to that. We're, we're going to face this work. But how we react to it will show whether we're going to go on in God or not. So, three areas of challenge. Deuteronomy 2.31. Sihon, king of Heshbon, who was an Amorite, would not let us pass by him. The children of Israel, they were coming out from uh, Egypt. And the Lord thy God hardened there it is, his spirit, and made his heart obstinate. If anybody wondered, so I just don't think there's a difference between the heart and the spirit. Well, here's one of these verses that you can just wrestle with. 
because it's very clear there's an obstinance with the heart, which is a willful saying no, and that steering wheel of our life, and a hardening of spirit that he, God might deliver him into our hand as appeared this day. Now, and then let's read the next one regarding the heart. Exodus 7, 3. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Now, some people might get um, kind of confused and accuse God. Well, God hardened Sihon's spirit. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That just doesn't seem nice. You know, and, they, and then they, they extrapolate then into Judas, son of perdition. He had no hope. God made him do that. And that's just ridiculous. The essence of this is that Sihon, whose name meant tempestuous, somebody that was just boisterous, he he could and should have allowed the people of God to come through. They were offering to pay for the right of transport, to pay for water. You can read about it. To pay for food. That would have been a big moneymaker. You know, state fairs here. Let's, let's sell while we can. Who knows how rich Sihon could have been, and who knows what God may have been able to do um, in, in regard to those uh, distant relatives of these people. But instead, Sihon said, I'm, I'm being presented with this offer by Moses. I'm feeling the pressure. I may not know what it is, but I'm pretty sure I do know what it is from God. And I'm saying no. And, and because of that transaction, because of God, Elohim's intervention in his life and his resistance to it, his spirit was hardened, and his heart then became obstinate. Pharaoh, same thing. Pharaoh understood about Yah. I wrote about this. He understood the concept of the eternal God. He knew that. It was in their terminology. And um, he's seeing all of these things that Moses was doing that undeniably was the work of the Almighty. And he could have turned. Essentially, he did turn, but then he gravitated back to rebellion against God. And sometimes people say, well, the kabod of God came on him, the glory of God, and it hardened him as if God was the guilty party. Let me tell you this truth right now in your life. You're either going to submit to the things of the Spirit or you are going to commit yourself to becoming hardened. God has nothing to do with that choice. It's up to you. So, of course, it's God's opportunity. Of course, it's God's invitation. Of course, it's God's Spirit. But how you react is up to you. Let no man or woman say when they stand before God at the end of their life, oh, like Adam did, you know what? This woman over here, she made me do this. Or let nobody say, you are a hard taskmaster, God, like the guy who buried the, the talent in the backyard. I knew that I, I didn't really want to deal with you. And what did God do with him? Man, he was bound hand and foot, and, and it wasn't a good ending for him. So God's Spirit comes, and yes, God orchestrates the opportunities in our life he has a purpose for all of us. But if we're willing to submit, if we're willing to, to say, yes, I will be as a free spirit before you, that doesn't mean just being a hippie. It doesn't mean that at all. That means that I'm going to move with you. And if we're willing to do that, we'll be nobility in the kingdom. If we, if we resist, we'll become hardened. And the end result of that is not good. Um, I, I think it's interesting that both of these first two have to do with the people of God moving into the next phase of what God wanted for them. And so I think that as we're transitioning and we're understanding the breakthrough of the Lord into a new 
into a new reality in God's timetable. Um, it would make sense that we ourselves as saints are being presented with the pressures of the moment. Now, you can just go with the Spirit of the Lord and then you, you'll transition without a lot of challenge. There will be challenges, but it, it, you look back on them and you think, man, that was, that was great. They, this yoke is easy. This burden is light. Or you can resist and become hardened, and then you aren't going anywhere. And that's, that's horrible. And the, the third verse there in regard to the heart, Psalm 95, 8 through 9, there were a lot of the people of God who hardened their heart, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. So not only was it Sihon, I should have put Pharaoh probably first, but the message is harden your spirit, and that's why Sihon is first. Um, the, um, this, these, this influence of God's, God's uh, coming upon people and placing demand upon us to grow and to develop that perhaps this is part of the chastening of the Lord. Um, it's, it's upon those who have an authority to allow or to resist, but also those that are supposed to be along for uh, the walk with God. And in every one of those cases, they hardened themselves. You know, to me, it begins with the hardening of spirit. But it could be that the hardening of heart takes such precedence that the spirit is pretty much like stuck in the back seat. You know, some people are so set in their ways, their heart is so fixed that it's just on autopilot. And if God came blowing through the place like on the day of Pentecost, they're mocking immediately. We've seen that in our lives, haven't we? We used to see that when we were kids growing up, and, you know, the big thing for all Pentecostals was unknown tongues is for today. All of you naysayers in denominational churches, we're ready to debate you because we speak in tongues, and it's for today. And we often wondered, how can you play such games with the Scripture in your doctrines, that you resist what is obviously in the Word. We used to do that, didn't we? Without being judgmental, but that's just normal. Well, there's a whole new class of that today. This is what God's Spirit is doing. How's the steering wheel of your life? What, what's the course of your, of your identity and what your, your goals are and your tradition you know, we decorate the steering wheel of our heart with all kinds of things, valuable things. But sometimes that's just set on such, a, such an autopilot that the spirit is just comatose within you, which is what Paul mentions in uh, the Corinthian writings about communion. You know, sick, weakly, and sleep. There's a comatose nature. You know, there, there's spirit there, but it's not doing anything. We're not getting any registry of life. They're, they're comatose. And I don't want to be that way. We, we've got to be sensitive to the spirit in our spirit, in our heart. And also, it's interesting that the third area of challenge is whether we're stiff-necked. Stiff-necked is this word. It's not a description of a malady. It's the result of reacting the wrong way. Sometimes it's obstinance. Sometimes it's ignorance. Sometimes it's willful disobedience. Uh, reacting the wrong way to what God's Spirit wants to do. And the word kasa is what's translated as stiff-necked. Deuteronomy 10, we'll leave it to you to find the verse. Uh, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. Be no more stiff-necked. Proverbs 29.1, he that being often reproved, oh, this is a good one, 
hardeneth his neck and shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. Often reproved. That's where we are today. I, you know, if you'd asked me a couple of days ago what we'd be sharing about regarding communion, this would probably be it. That as we come before the Lord, we don't have any bitter sop up here today. Um, Nancy, would you go down and make some? Thank you for doing that today. She subbed in for M&M. Um, but we need to take a, let the Spirit take a really deep look at our spirit and our heart and our willingness to say, yes, Lord, and to turn our neck as God would ask us to move and see if there's any restriction. See if, and look at the things that probably other people know about you that you don't want to recognize yourself. Sometimes in the deep, dark night when God's Spirit is there, you recognize this is there. But when you wake up with the light of day, you, you, you just go back into the same stuff. I'm not hammering you. I'm saying we're all there, and I, I'm saying that God is perfecting us, and now he's putting his finger on this area. It's not only that you're vulnerable in the things that are coming that God's preparing you for, but this is a course adjustment. It's, it's us saying, I want my spirit to be free in you. That's going to be my strength. I want my heart to be free in you. And I want my neck that demonstrates my volition in this earth to be free in you. And that may take for us, we've just been fasting, which I think is probably <laughs> a very good thing because fasting is the, is the circumcision knife in most ways. But um, I think God's saying, yeah, it's time for you to let me make you free. You've got to let me make you free. I can't free you from things you're holding on tight to. You've got the death grip on that steering wheel. And um, you've got, you got, you, you got to let me do what I want to do because you're rigid. There's, there's something wrong there. And you know it is. In the deepest, quietest moment of your life, you know it's there. But yet you adamantly hold on. We gotta be free in the Lord. And it's only you that can do it. You can talk about deliverance all day long. But you know, you, you gotta, you gotta, it's not enough to just be freed. You gotta commit yourself to a walk of walking in the freedom of the Spirit. And, and that is obeying Him, being sensitive to Him. And if there's any part of our life that says, Man, if this happens, I know murmuring is going to hit. I just know it. I'll repent about it later. Murmur now, repent later. Uh-uh. It will destroy us. It will not allow us to be noble in the Spirit of the Lord. And we're talking about changing nations we're talking about spiritual warfare, which we're going to get to in a couple of minutes here. And we've got, we've got to let God do this. So the strategies of the enemy, the wiles of the enemy that we, are, that we are laying before the Lord this week begin right here. For some of us, the enemy doesn't have to display many wiles. It's just an auto button. All I have to do is this. And I've screwed the whole thing up. All I have to do is this, and I know what chaos will happen. I got a photo album of times, a hundred times at least, when this person did that. So let's let God free us. And let's stay free to move with him. And be free. Um, yeah, Lord, I answer my heart for yours. But I also say, let my spirit be free to accomplish everything that you have placed yourself within me to accomplish. I don't want to be hardened in spirit. I don't want to be hardened in heart. I don't want to be hardened in 
my neck. I don't want any of that. And I trust you don't either for yourself. <laughs> I was said, you don't either. Somebody would say amen. You know, we don't want you to be that way either. No, how about all of us? We are the nobles. We are the mighty men and women. That's what God's called you to be. And that's not a statement of pride. That's a statement of identity and responsibility. Somebody's got to be that. And God is placing this before us today. So the three areas of challenge are right there. God did not make Sihon spirit hard. Sihon had an opportunity to listen to the voice of God. And instead, the boisterous one rose up and was boisterous. And because of that denial of the Lord God, Sion's heart and Sion's was obstinate and his spirit was hardened. Pharaoh had the opportunity to obey the Lord. I've seen it in the movie. And he said, no, I'm, I'm hardening my heart. Did God make that happen? Well, it was a result of the resistance. See, something's going to happen when God's Spirit confronts you. You're either going to welcome Him and love Him and move with Him, or you're going to resist and become hardened. One or the other. There's no neutrality in it. And the stiff neck part, which we've studied about being circumcised in Spirit, it's a bigger study, but it's all right here. This word speaks about the volition of what we do in the natural. So you have the spirit, you have the heart, and you have the natural. Those three are there, and they're all being tested. I don't want to fail in any of them. How about you? I don't want it. You don't want it, so let's not do it. Now, here's a good one. Uh, a necessary component to inheriting transitional anointing. And this is kind of interesting. That's a lot of words, isn't it? Friend, see, if you know all these words, it'll help you with crossword puzzles because they're all right there. Um, 2 Kings 2, verses 9 and 10. Here is Elijah and Elisha. Now, it might be said that Elijah himself, bless his holy name, failed in regard to what the Spirit wanted to do in his own life. I mean, what doest thou here? What are you doing this for, Elijah? Why are you doing this? And then he starts telling the places that he had a right to be hardened. So here you have the time when Elijah's finally going to go up in the UFO. Oh, <laughs> you hear some conspiracy people. The chariot of fire. And here's Elisha asking for a double portion of his spirit. Now, we've talked about this in the past. Why did he ask for a double portion of thy spirit? Let thy mantle fall on me. Why did he ask for a double portion of his spirit? Listen, the spirit that God's given to you is more than enough. You don't need to have a double assignment from the, from the foundation of the world. He recognized, as you and I do, that Elijah wasn't finished. It was never God's intent for Elijah to be gone. Elijah had unfinished business, and Elisha recognized that. So he said, look, I can't accomplish my job unless your job has been done. So let a double portion come on me. That's true. We face this in our life, don't we? Sometimes we have an assignment, maybe at work, and you recognize that the last guy did such a slipshod job, you've got to do his work before you can do yours. Have you ever faced that before? Of course you have. So Elisha, being the great prophet, um, he recognized this. But look at this. It shall come to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elijah, Ask what I shall do for thee. Here's a good shal question. Before I be taken away from you. And Elisha said, I pray you let a double portion of thy spirit. Note that. Not the spirit. Not God's spirit. Thy spirit. That's very significant. This was the spirit that was within Elijah, let it, let it be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. There's our word. It would be a hard thing, wouldn't it? I mean, that was a tumultuous moment. 
Not just in the spirit realm, not just in the collision of two prophets. We've talked about how God really intended for Moses and Moses and Joshua to work together in the promised land. God intended for Saul and David to work together. God intended for Elijah and Elisha to work together. When that split was happening, that was rough. We face things like that here in this house, haven't we? I don't need to go into the detail, but you know what that feels like. I do, and it's not fun. So Elijah is saying, you've asked a hard thing. The pressures that are going to come for that to happen are going to be great. So what did he say? Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be unto you, but if not, it shall not be so. Now, we could spend a lot of time on this. And this didn't just mean you just follow me around. You don't know when it's going to happen. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be before this sermon ends, my friend. But you better stick with this. And there was a lot in that circuit that had to happen. He, he had to commit himself. He had to watch. But he had to be willing. He had to be faithful. And, and, and you know, Elijah was no dummy. Elijah was a valiant prophet. I mean, these are the days of Elijah, according to Malachi. John the Baptist fulfilled that. And here again, that transitional moment. Um, you've asked a hard thing. You're, you're in the midst of a, a really challenging moment. Maybe we're in that moment in some ways, in, in ways that we don't recognize. Maybe there are things that have not been done, that should have been done, that in order for us to do what we're supposed to do in the Lord, we've got to take some responsibility for doing some unfinished business. That's not judging anyone or anything. It seems to always be that way. So Elisha is not alone in this. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing? You've asked a hard thing. Same word. So his spirit, which he wanted a double portion of, he was going to take the responsibility from the, from the last guy, and, and his heart had to be um, dealing with things. And, and I'm sure his neck couldn't be stiff. You've asked a hard thing. That's interesting. And like I said, we could talk about this for a long time. We're, we're not going to today. Look at this one. This is also, this topic, a necessary component to successful supplication. 1 Samuel 1.15, Hannah, Grace, answered and said, No, my Lord, speaking to Eli, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. There's our word. It doesn't mean, oh, woe is me. My biological clock is just cracked. I want a child, and you hardened me, and you've not let me become pregnant. You know, that wasn't the sorrow. This was a divine moment. Do any of you recognize that? Do you think it was God's timing for Samuel to come onto the scene at that time? Of course it was. This was a unique moment. She says that her Spirit, if I was T.D. Jakes, I'd say, everybody say spirit. Her spirit was facing this. Her identity from the foundation of the world before God was facing this. And anybody who is going to be dealing in grace, offering supplication for bringing in a kingdom reality that is needed in this moment for the establishment of the kingdom, partnering with the spirit of grace and supplication, your spirit is going to face this. Do you see this? I hope we do. Now, Eli, the religious warlord of the moment, he thought she was drunk. Woman, go home if you're going to be drunk. You know, he, he, he should have used some of that wisdom on his own two wacky sons. But here he is talking to, to this woman who was the only one in the toolbox that was obviously partnering with God at that moment. I think that's fair to say. Name me another one. I don't see one in the Scripture. 
Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Nobody was interested, really, in what was going on there at Shiloh. And uh, it was just a bad thing. So here is this woman, and she says, my spirit is dealing with something. Now, yeah, she, she wanted to have a child. Nothing wrong with that. And, you know, there are some folks, like the Apostle Paul, who, who didn't have children. He said, I realize this is what God wants for me. He didn't bellyache and moan about it. He didn't walk around like a wounded warrior. I mean, I, you know, sometimes when we speak about this, I know that in my congregation, the extended congregation, there are a lot of women, a lot of couples that don't have children. We, that's fine. It doesn't mean you're a secondary citizen. It doesn't mean that somehow God hates you or you failed. You know, it's just what's happened. And you can turn that for the good. Life gives you what others would think are lemons. You can dominate the market on lemonade. So just be happy. And, and I, I, you know, this woman, though, was in the midst of a divine moment. She was partnering with the spirit of grace and supplication. This is one of our keynote words about under, scriptures about understanding supplication and how you partner with that dimension of God. We needed this, don't we? So here she is saying, hey, you know what? I'm praying at this moment. I've been dealing with this nonsense for a long time. I'm ridiculed by these, this other woman there in the house. That would be ridicule for anybody, whether she had children or not. <laughs> Wouldn't you think? I mean, I don't know what. I don't know. Well, I won't go there. But she said that her spirit was dealing with this. Now, think about this for a moment. She could have been hardened just like Sihon. Or she could come before the Lord in tenderness and bring about the birth of the primary prophet, teacher, seer of Israel who would anoint the kings that would establish that kingdom. The choice was hers. She could have very easily become ticked off. Notice I said ticked off. I don't want to slur my words. Annette, I said ticked off. There's probably something else, too. She could have been that way with the irritant at the house and uh, her husband's doting was nice, but it probably didn't help matters any. But she recognized this divine moment. She was partnering with the spirit of grace and supplication, and her spirit was not, oh, woe is me, I'm so full of ungodly sorrow. What kind of sorrow is going to fit your life? Ungodly sorrow or godly sorrow? What will it be? When you belly up to the bar of God, what's it going to be? Let us in this moment not give place to bitterness, stiff-neckedness, hardness of spirit, hardness of heart, hardening of the arteries, any kind of hardness. We don't want any of it. We want to be flowing properly in God's free spirit. Well, our free spirit before God. Amen? And now, page two. It's the essence of godly jealousy. This cantique de cantique. Uh, Song of Solomon, eight, verse six. I like the way the French say that better. Song of Solomon sounds like he's, I have a song in my heart. I like the cantique de cantique. That sounds great. Set me, oh, I do not understand what you have said. Oh, you mean the cantique de cantique. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death. <laughs> well, I'd serve the Lord if I didn't have this seal on my arm. <laughs> Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. What is, what's this mean? We've looked at this from so many dimensions. Um, we've talked about the difference between human jealousy and godly jealousy, haven't we? We've studied about that. 
And in the natural, human jealousy is a terrible thing. As it used to say up in the hills of West Virginia, it's the green-eyed monster. It'll get you. Which actually comes from, believe it or not, some uh, literary classics. Um, green-eyed monster. I learned that from watching Hercule Poirot recently. Um, jealousy. Kana. God's purpose, plan, us committing to it, God's insistence that this is what I'm going to do. When you deal with that, you're going to face this word, this kasa. Anybody that's dealing with the eternal purpose of God and the jealousy of God. Remember Melchizedek, king of righteousness, comes to Abram and says, possessor of heaven and earth, that's kana. We have a responsibility for the nations. So that jealousy of God is going to involve this type of pressure. Casse. And it's as the grave. Why is it mentioned that? Sounds a bit morbid, doesn't it? Well, there's a number of aspects to it, and they all can speak from this word of God that's alive. First of all, we've got a limited time to partner with God on behalf of his jealousy while on the earth. Because every one of us, no matter how fit you are, no matter what kind of water you drink, no what kind of nutrients you take, no matter how much exercise you do, we're either going up in the rapture or we're all going to die. Boy, that's an uplifting word, isn't it, Rachel? <laughs> I could quote from <laughs> Moonstruck. No matter how many times you play that Vicky Carr record, you're all going to die. Cosmo. Anyway, uh, you want to know what that means, ask Katie later. <clears throat> Don't ask Kelly, because she hasn't seen it. <laughs> so the grave is there, but it's also, it's also whether we're going to embrace what God's plan is, or we're, whether we're going to let the cycle of death just keep going from generation to generation without God's will being done. That's happened for far too long. So jealousy is as cruel as the grave. We can turn this, we can interpret this from the Hallmark uh, lexicon and think that it's just talking about being jealous of that girl over there. I'm pointing back at the screen. There's nobody there. Um, but the, the point, though, is that this is talking about the pressure of the Spirit. It's talking about what you do when you're faced with when God wants to do something mighty. And the only way we are going to be able to represent the seal of God upon our arm is that we uh, allow ourselves to function as God wants us to without any hindrances. We've got enough to face outside in the world, in the demonic realm, with other people, than to have some part within us that's not functioning right. We need to just be free. But it's up to you to be free. I could lay hands on your head till all the hairs fall off of it. And you still won't be free until you determine. Looks like I've done that with some of you. Maybe even myself. But, you know, um, we've just got to be free today. There's a reason. This pressure, this divine weightiness of the purpose of God in this time frame is touching our spirit, it's touching our heart, it's touching our volition. And only we can say, all right, I'm not going to allow anything within me. Search me, Lord. Point it out. But I would dare say that the spirit doesn't need a whole lot of help. I think if we were just honest, we would know what area just keeps coming up to bite you. You can blame it on everybody else, but it's you. You over there at that wall, it's you. So let God do the work. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. I love that. I'm so thankful to see that about this. But love is strong as death. We could talk about that, um, but another time. Now, I like this. We end in a warfare note. Um defeating the enemy. We all like that. Well, let's hear from the enemy. 
in this passage of Scripture. This is after those people who swiped the ark. <laughs> they say, we got to get this thing out of here. 1 Samuel 5, 6, and 7. That's easy to remember. But the hand of the Lord was kabod. That's the glory of God upon them of Ashdod. And he destroyed them and smote them with emeralds, even Ashdod under the coast thereof. That, that's, that's quite a smiting. Won't elaborate. And when the men of Ashdod saw it, that it was so, they said, the ark of God of Israel shall not abide with us. For his hand is sore, there's our word, upon us, and even upon Dagon, our God. Two things there. The hand of the Lord was kabod, the glory of God was on them. And then he turned around and said that the hand of the Lord is kaseh upon them. And even in that, upon Dagon, that goofy, demonic idol that kept falling flat before the ark. <laughs> hey, we need maintenance over here. Dagon's falling down again. Hey, we got to get this thing out of here. I fixed that thing five times. It's about to wear Scott out. We can't keep that thing aligned upwards. We've called in the best technicians, and it just keeps falling over. I just don't know what I'm going to do. we got to get it out of here. So here's a connection between the glory of God in God's hand, and the kase of God in God's hand. Now, why would the enemy say this? Well, first of all, they were beset by emirates, which is not a good position to be in. Hard to sit down. Uh, but the question is, what's the connection between the kabod and this kase? Because both of those influences were being demonstrated through the hand of God. And you notice that it wasn't the, according to this scripture, the kabod of God that was really doing a number on Dagon. It was the kase of God that was doing a number on Dagon. That's really interesting. You want to gain victory in the spirit realm in battle? You can ask for the glory of the Lord all day long. But if you're messing around with this kasa and you're not allowing God to make your spirit open to where you're not shooting yourself in the foot every other day, and secondly, you're not really flowing with the Lord, the enemy has got you right where he wants you. You are an easy mark. The analysts of, of the Council of Seven are saying, you don't have to worry about them. God just poured his spirit into them. But they're not going to handle it right. They're going to screw it up some way. I don't want that to be said about us. I know it's been said about me in the past, and I am guilty, and all of you are too. We can't let this happen now. The stakes are too high. And again, here, in the, <laughs> in the mouth of the enemy, when dealing with the Ark of the Covenant, which is you, the temple of the tabernacle of testimony going into the nations. What's the thing that the enemy says, I can't abide? It's this kasa. It's this kasa. To me, very clear. And it, just in case any of you were wondering, let's talk about the demonic influence that guards over borders. The one that really is, to, in my opinion, the antithesis of Michael. Let's talk about Leviathan, and let's see what, Joe, what Isaiah says. Job writes about Leviathan too, but here's Isaiah. Spiritual warfare for the land. In that day, the Lord, Yahweh, with <clears throat> excuse me, his sore, there's that word, and great and strong sword, shall punish Leviathan, the piercing servant, even Leviathan, that crooked servant, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Here's a description of the sword of the Lord. Three measures of very clear depiction. The first begins with this word that we've been talking about. 
Are you really willing to submit to what God is doing in his purpose, in his timing, in his ways? Are you eliminating anything within you that God points out you need to surrender and be done with? Not just surrender and pick it up on your way back out. Because that, you're going to move with the sword of the Lord against Leviathan. You've got you to be faithful in this. The second word is a word that means to be mature, to be elder-like. I could have given you the word there, but I'm just explaining it. I knew it was the end of the sermon, and some of you would be hungry for communion by now. Um, you know, we, we have to be mature about what our responsibilities are, and that involves us applying what we've learned and being a stand-up individual, not not slopping off. You know, somebody's got to be the adult in the room. You ever heard that phrase? Somebody's got to be a one, and we all have to be that, where we take responsibility for what we know we should be. So, first of all, with the sword of the Lord against Leviathan, we are willing to move with the Spirit of the Lord. We've done our very best to obey and eliminate things that could make us hard, but instead make us able to flow. Secondly, we're going to do what God has asked us to do and to be. And thirdly, we're going to be strong. This is, you know, when, when Caleb was talking about what he was at 80 years old, this is the word that, he's, that he described himself as. And you know what that means for us? Yeah, that means that you've been in it a long time and you're going to be, uh, God's going to fulfill what he promised. That mountain you've been talking about for a long time, that mountain you've seen the enemy doing stuff on and he doesn't belong there, that mountain that is your heritage, that mountain that should have been taken a long time ago and you wonder why it hasn't been. How many of you felt that way? about the things you've been praying for. Well, by and by, in the timing of the Lord, that sword is going to drive out Leviathan. So you need these three things. You want to move with the sword of the Lord in going into nations? Well, it begins right off the front. You notice that God's such a wonderful author. He makes no mistakes. You know, if it was me writing it, I would have probably flipped these. I would probably say, well, the first thing you're going to do is remember what God said. The second thing is, you've got to apply the things that he's done to train you to this point and be faithful in it. And then the third thing is, when the Spirit commences to move, you're ready to flow with it. That's what I would have said. Glad he didn't ask me. No. He says the most important thing when I get ready to move against Leviathan is not what you've done, not what promises you have. We all know those as saints. It's first and foremost, is there anything in you that's going to screw this thing up? Because before we get started, let's deal with that right off the bat, right off the sword. Are you, have you eliminated things that will cause you to be hardened and unmovable and unwilling to flow with the Spirit or... Are you willing to eliminate things that when my spirit begins to move, it won't be the enemy, it won't be the person beside you, it'll be you standing in the need of prayer. It'll be you that stops what God wants to do. God forbid. Boy, I'm preaching today. Rachel, how you let me do this? I think this is very important. Is Leviathan a real character? I know he is. I've seen him. Some of you have too. He is a demonic being. And otherwise, what would the sword of the Lord be doing with it? <laughs> you ever think about that? You want to move with the sword of the Lord in these days to see breakthrough in nations. The first requirement is not what promises you've been believing for in your supplications, not your maturity in the past and 
the skins you have on the wall and all of the wonderful growth that you've had over the years. First thing is, are you willing to submit to the free flow of God's Spirit and not hinder it? You know, some of you have been applying for jobs. You see a list of requirements. And some of you may say, well, there's no need for me to apply. I see right here. That's not me. In some ways, that's good. You know right off the bat. Well, you want to partner with the sword of the Lord? Driving out Leviathan, breaking through into the terrain that God has ordained for us as saints to see in the nations and in the spirit realm? It begins with this. So, where are we? Um, where am I? We come before this communion time today. We know that God is activating new things for the sprinkling of the blood. We know that God is giving fresh word, unleavened word that is new for this day. It's in, in regard to our inheritance, the breaking. It's in regard to the, uh, all the measures that we've studied about the bread. Commune with the Father, wonderful things. We don't have the, the bitter sop, as I said earlier. I didn't ask for it. But it's a principle. And that sop is, is to say, God, first of all, you know, how many times have we said this? You know what areas of bitterness I may have. I don't want that to rise up and destroy your word and your empowerment in the days ahead. Let's add another caveat to it. Lord, it's not just bitterness. Is there anything in me that I've allowed to just cause my neck to not turn or to cause it to turn quickly in a way that you don't want it to? Is there anything in me that would say, well, this is my car, this is my wheel, this is going to be my way on this highway? Is there anything in me that is in my spirit? Boy, there's a lot of factors of the spirit within, isn't there? There's bitterness of spirit. There's all kinds of stuff. I don't want anything to keep me from partnering with the sword of the Lord in these days or partnering with the, the jealousy of God in these days. We need all of this. Partnering with the travail for birthing in, in, in grace of those who are going to establish the kingdom in nations like Hannah did with Samuel. I don't want anything to keep us from flowing in that way. And it starts here. So, as we come before this table today, yes, we are cherishing the Word from God, our identity in God. Yes, we thank God for His blood. That's never will lose its power. But the first thing on that sword of the Lord is what we've been talking about. So we've got to ask the Lord like David did, search me, O God uphold me. The thing that I will rely upon is the ability for my spirit to be free. That is the characteristic of noblemen, of princes. Both are translated by that word. And that's what you are. It's a great privilege. You say, yes, as Elijah said, we're asking a hard thing. But it happened, and it can happen in us. God brought us to this place for this moment, and this is one of the most sterling words that if I've ever known that I'm bringing a word from the throne, this one I know. Maybe it's just for me, but I suspect it's for all of us. Father, I thank you. I pray that your spirit who is here will do the work in us that we need for you to do. You need for this work to be done. We need it. So we're in agreement, Father, with you. 
Let the eyes of your spirit, let let the candle of the Lord, which is the spirit of men and women, your word says that, search all the inward parts of who we are and, and see if there be any wicked way in us. We want to flow with you, not be hardened. Not only don't want, we don't want to be hardened, but we don't want to make it hard on anybody else. Let us flow with the sword of the Lord. There's a good message in there somewhere, but help it to all come. Let your word do its work in us today. And we thank you for it, Father. Bless this communion time. Bless this worship uh, before you. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Katie, do you want them to come now and get this, or are you going to ask them to come at some point in your deliberations? Okay. So let's come, let's receive, and let's enter in.